Welcome to episode 174 of A Pint with Shawnee B. I'm here with the Don. Hello, the Don. Hello. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be joined again by our resident futurist, Mr. Richard Watson, who has been a futurist for many years, as he'll tell us in his introduction. What are you hoping to get from Richard today? Lottery numbers. <laughs> Lottery numbers, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what the outcome is for society, for humans following the pandemic. Are we going to change our wicked ways? Are we going to make the world a better place? Let's patch in Richard, who joins us from his home in London. And laying back like a Greek god being fed grapes in his house in London is Richard Watson. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And hello both. Richard is a futurist who runs a company called Now and Next and has been a futurist for since I've known him. And in fact, I was with Richard when he was dabbling in Australia with becoming a futurist. I don't know how you become a futurist, but he's been one for 20 odd years now, right? Uh, I'd say since about 2004 or five, something like that. Oh, I know. No, since 2006 when I started writing a book. And you've now written how many books? Um... Well, I've written seven, but so far only five are published. That's quite a lot. Actually, I, have, I have a question about that because we were in Sean's mum's house yesterday and uh, I was chatting to your mum and she just asked us if we had any plans. And I said, oh, we're going to do an episode of the podcast tomorrow. We have a futurist we're going to talk to. And she said, oh, what, what's a futurist? And I was like, um, he looks into the future and stuff. <laughs> And she's like, so is this like astrology and that kind of stuff? And I was like, no, no, no. It's like, and I realized I, have, I haven't a fucking clue. And she said, well, is it, is it the day job? Like, how does what? I don't know. You'd have to ask It's There's a, another deep question. I don't, you know, what is even the future? I mean, in my case, I read, think, discuss, write about the future. As to what the future is, I mean, I'm not talking about next Tuesday, generally. I'm five to ten years out. There's quite a lot of faux futurists around these days. I think they're just trend people, which is where I came from, who are just taking what's happening now and extrapolating 18 months, which, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's vaguely a futurist, but I think you need to sort of bang up against science fiction a bit to be interesting. I think you need to go out, you know, you know at least 10 years, maybe 20 or even more to, to be really interesting. I think actually what I do most of the time is... is I'm a sort of excuse that allows people to reflect about what they're doing. I think that's possibly what I really do. So the big question uh, for the start of today's podcast is, when is the world going to end? Oh, I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't care. There was something, actually, I did a risk map once with extreme risks. And I remember... I remember it. It was great. Quoting... Um, an Oxford, I think, study saying it, it was we, we were going to make it to the end of the century with about a 98.5% probability. So it's not really something I worry about. So this time last year, we were talking to you kind of just as the pandemic was in the early throes. We were wondering if there was going to be a second wave, not to mind a fourth wave. Ireland has just come out of the worst lockdown in, of any country. We were locked down for over five months and we're just beginning to emerge now. The Indian virus is here. How would you give humankind what sort of scorecard would you give humankind on how we've handled the whole pandemic when it arrived on our plate a year ago i think we I, i'm not going to put a number on it but i think we did as well as could be expected i mean everyone was trying hard some people proved to be idiots but they didn't mean to be necessarily the countries we thought were really good early on turned out to be not so good I mean, Britain did make some huge errors, I think. I mean, going back before the pandemic, you know, we, we'd obviously thought about pandemics, but we managed to model the wrong kind, which was pretty genius. And then I think we locked down far too late. Uh, we arguably opened up far too early. Although, you know, you know, who are we trying to save at the end of the day? What were we trying to do? And I'm still not quite sure what the answer to that is. Well, I think certainly the view from Ireland, was was our our health services are not fit for purpose. So in Ireland, the HSC, which is the NHS of Ireland, is running all the time at like ninety nine to one hundred percent capacity. Huge waiting lists, trolleys in 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 corridors. Something like half a million people are waiting for outpatients in a population of five million. Yeah. And when a panic comes along or a pandemic, 
the biggest fear is, you know, what we saw in Italy, army being called in to collect bodies, what we're seeing in India, makeshift funeral pyres, you know, that kind of end of world view, which we were desperately trying to avoid. And we kind of did over here. And, and I think now with the vaccines, we realize, okay, the health service will be able to control and run if, if the numbers start getting bad again. So we have a health systems, you know, in America, in Britain, here, not so much maybe in Australia, New Zealand, in, in first world English speaking countries, which are not fit for purpose and getting worse because companies and governments are trying to blend capitalism with health, which doesn't, we know kind of doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I think the NHS is, is, has got some big problems. It had the problems before the pandemic. It was beginning to sort of creak and groan. It needs radical reform, but I don't think it'll ever happen. So we will lurch from one crisis to another. I mean, ageing is putting enormous pressure on the NHS. Obesity, enormous pressure. And obviously, there's quite an interesting link with obesity and the people who got really ill during the pandemic. But yeah, we'll just sort of carry on, I guess, stick a few classes over and carry on. When we were talking last, we were talking about what does the world look like emerging from this lesson we've been handed? And we were talking, you know, about work-life balances, working from home. Do you feel it's going to snap back to pretty much what it was? Or do you think that we will have learned some lessons and we will change? I'm pretty, pretty certain that it's going to snap back to something very close to what we had before, which I'm not saying I want that to happen, but I think that's what will happen. This will be a sort of a year to forget, not one to remember. We're just going to we're going to bury it in our collective memories. We're going to probably party like it's 2021 or whatever it is for a while. There, there are some, some residual effects, but I don't think there'll be many. I think work will be more flexible and fluid, but it's by no means the death of the office. The environment might move up the agenda a bit. Beyond that, I, I don't see too much changing. So we, we, we had a sort of a very interesting, in my view, crossroads with the US election in, in November where Last time we were talking to you, you were, I asked you specifically if you thought Trump was going to be elected, and you call that pretty uh, tight. That politicization of everything in the world, including the pandemic, including masks, including the climate, including everything, is a sort of a feature of what's happening across nearly everything now. And how, how worried should we be? Um, I mean, personally, I'm just not that interested. I'm, I'm just disengaged. I, you know, I'll worry about things when they happen, if I need to. Um, mm. It's sort of Love Islands. It is what it is, meets stoicism, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's going away because I think it's fundamentally driven by social media and connectivity. And, and ironically, I think at some level, isolation and loneliness is driving this. There's quite an interesting yeah. book came out on this, which I, I haven't read it, but my God, that's an interesting thesis. If it's true, I mean, wow. Um, yeah, I, I just, it's just something I don't want in my head. It's, it's, I, I, I don't care, it, which sounds awful, but I just don't want to know. I'm, I'm totally disengaged from it. Did you feel it was, it was uh, appropriate for Twitter and Facebook to shut down Donald Trump? You know, that's really hard. I mean, first of all, why did they, why did it take so long for them to do it? You mean you'll, you'll wait until he's no longer got any power and then you're going to ban him? It goes against, things I believe in. I don't think people should be banned from saying things at all. Mm. If they want to say something, they should be allowed to say it. But on the other hand, he was a hateful person. So I, I'm not quite sure what to say about that. And obviously, yeah, don't assume he's gone. I mean, he could very, very easily be back. Uh, and again, that's just not something I particularly want to think about right now. The crossroads I mean was that we very nearly got another four years of Donald Trump and the world would be in far more peril if that had happened. Would you agree? Uh, yes, I do agree. I think he really would have gone rogue at that point. I can't remember which American congressman or senator said that, but yeah, I think he would have gone absolutely rogue. It would have just been horrendous. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised by how little problems they've had in the US. Although actually, it's interesting how very little US news you get these days or any global news period anymore. It's all totally localized, yeah. focused on the pandemic. But I thought there would be more trouble. And I, I do think a lot of stuff that happened was exaggerated as well, to some extent. But it, it was surreal. I mean, again, this is why I, I just can't think about this stuff anymore, because how do you out-crazy that? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I could just about cope with the pandemic. I could just about 
cope with Trump as president, but I really struggle with having both happen at the same time. But like Biden, you know, has arrived and he's rolled up his sleeves and backed out of the kind of he said, she said nature of U.S. politics and got his vaccination situation into 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 action, but also brought America back to the climate table, which wouldn't have happened. And I think, do you, do you have any faith that we might understand the lesson from the pandemic about how important now the other pandemic, which is climate change, is going to affect us all and we might get our shit together? Or do you think it'll just be the usual platitudes? Uh, a little bit of both. My inner cynic says, again, not, not a lot. It'll, it'll progress. It'll, it'll go in, a, in, a, in the right direction. But I'm not sure it'll move as fast as it needs to be. Although, I mean, okay, so we decarbonize or we're, or we're carbon neutral by 2030 or whatever it is. I think my personal view is it's too late to do anything really. Um, that doesn't mean we couldn't do anything, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to do what it's going to do, and we will have to adapt. But that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't change things. But it would be a shame if we, we just did that and nothing else, because I think the, the pandemic has highlighted a lot of issues. And we, we, we had the sort of mental space during lockdown one to actually think about this. You know, people had the time for the first time to stop and think about how they were living their lives. And they were really, a lot of people were really thinking deeply about you know, if this is my last year on earth, how would I live differently? You know, I'm, am I spending too much time at work? Have I got the wrong job, et cetera, et cetera. And people thought quite deeply about it. And I think that's now gone. It's just mm. sort of drifted off into the sunset. I mean, Black Lives Matter, I think, will carry on. That, that's got a sort of a force to it now. Climate, I think, to some extent. But inequality, I don't think we're going to do much about that. Global financial system, definitely not. Although, you know, again, I, I, I don't necessarily see this as ending. First of all, the pandemic is far from over, and we've barely started to feel any effects whatsoever of the financial aftermath. And if anything, I'd be more worried about that now than the actual pandemic. So it, it's very early days. It's very tempting to think this is all sort of behind us now, but it, I don't feel like that at all. I think in certain countries, it's, it's quite back to normal. I'm not anxious about it at all. But um, I, I don't think it's over, that's for sure. The, the sort of sudden change in economics as well of print money, throw money at the problem, don't worry about, you know, the, versus the last financial collapse where it was all austerity and all this kind of stuff. There seems to have been a change in economics now. And with that, there's an opportunity to help build infrastructure, to help fix hospitals, to help fix schools, to, to put people back to work on, on build, fixing roads and, you know, basic housing issues that we have over here particularly. Is that going to continue or is that bullshit? Like the, there's lots of old economists who go, no, this, you're going to have to pay the piper at some point. No, I think you're going to have to pay at some point. Um, and we've, we've already got a problem paying with what we've spent already, let alone spending anything else. I mean, everyone was talking about that tax rises not so long ago. That seems to have disappeared. I, I think they're going to come in in a sort of stealth way, potentially. I do think inflation is going to come in. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, a small level of inflation will downplay the debt. So that's a good thing. But it could very easily get out of control. Um, and it'll benefit certain people and not others as well. So it could actually increase inequality a bit like it did last time, uh, the aftermath of the global financial crash. But you know, we will have to see. But yeah, they suddenly sort of conjured money out of nowhere. But then again, I suppose you could say they, they didn't have any choice, although you know, you've always got a choice to some extent. Although that, actually that sort of health wealth thing was always the tension. That was always that axis there. They mm. kind of chose health. Um, and they chose the health of everyone, or you might argue a certain se segment of the population over, you know, the financial well-being of everyone else. I mean, it does strike me that younger people have been sort of thrown to the wolves on this to some extent. Yeah, I mean, I wondered, as we're talking about that, I was thinking it at the start when you were talking about climate change, but particularly now, I wonder how pissed off people are going to be. Like, there was a huge sense, certainly in Ireland, of civic duty and community and, you know, clapping for the healthcare workers and all that kind of shit. And doing the right thing. And I'd say at this stage, particularly people who have been hit harder financially and aren't in a big five bed house with a massive garden getting paid full the entire time they're off. I'd say there's going to be an awful lot of people pissed off and just fucking disinclined to be the hero. And I could see governments and that maybe taking climate change more seriously. But then you've got to have buy-in. And then you've got the same fucking people are going to be hammered. Same with any recession. The less well-off will be less well-off again. And they'll be pissed off. And we weren't all in it together, we're all in it together, but some of us are in a smaller boat. I can see the residual anger in a lot of people for a couple of years to come, just disinclined to do the right thing and give a shit about civic duty. Yeah, it's interesting, the clapping for the NHS. I never thought that was 
what they were doing. I always felt people clapping themselves, actually, for still being there. I, I think, yeah, yeah I, Black Lives Matter came about, I think, because the timing was absolutely perfect because people were pissed off with something else. It was a sort of welling of, of resentment. And I, I think that does exist within the younger generation. They haven't been able to express it yet, really. I mean, I'm amazed at how little rebellion there's been around this um, for people being effectively locked up for the best part of a year. Um, you know, I mean, I particularly feel sorry for university students who, you know, the worst they've done is have a party and maybe put some post-it notes on their window saying help. But, you know, they are paying full whack and they haven't seen a, a lecturer for a year. And I don't think there's much prospect of them seeing one this year either, really. I mean, they haven't even had a discount for heaven's sake. I mean, I, I just can't believe there hasn't been more trouble there. But then to what end? I don't know. Again, there are so many variables now. And you can't rule anything out, really, any sort of crazy thoughts. So it just makes your head spin. Hence, I'm not really very engaged with it anymore. So speaking of crazy, there's a, the, the, I was listening to an interesting podcast with Sam Harris the other week, and he had a guy on who studies pandemics, and he talks about this COVID-19 was mild, relatively speaking. Yep. So he's talking about one that's arrives where it kills 10% or 20% of people. Uh, where people are terrified to go out. And guess who doesn't show up for work? The bin men, the lorry drivers, the people in shops don't turn up for work. An economy, can, the, the world can collapse very quickly. He also talked a bit about the fact that you can weaponize viruses and there's no controls being put over that. Now, on your risk map, you had an awful lot of these crazy things. I remember you saying, like, you know, being hit by an asteroid and all this kind of stuff. That's starting to come into sharper focus because you see lone wolf crazies in America, you know, 240 mass shootings so far this year. Suddenly there's, a, there's an opportunity to print a virus uh, and release it without anybody kind of having any checks and balances over the materials required. And there's an awful lot of researchers who are deliberately tweaking viruses to make them more painful or, or more vicious that they may then work out how to how to vaccinate against them. And the argument there is don't bother trying to fucking make a more severe virus because someone drops a test tube in a lab and it's out. Have you any thoughts on, on, on that kind of, that sort of more accelerating doomsday situation that we could have? Um, I mean, I'm just trying to think, did it expose a resilience or the opposite when this happened? You're absolutely right about the, this not being particularly dangerous in the grand scheme of things. I mean, what was the mortality rate? About one and a half, two percent? I mean, some of these other, I'm thinking of MERS, but th there are some that are around the 40, 50% mortality rate. And um, you're right. I mean, it, it would, the infrastructure, I think, would just completely fall to pieces at that point. I mean, well, that, that's a scenario I'm not saying would happen. It's a scenario that could happen. I mean, there are, there are sort of plenty of things. I mean, I, I quite like, you know, a solar flare could knock out satellite communications. All of a sudden, you have to start reading paper maps again because nothing will work. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. There are reasons the internet could fail. There are, oh, there's just so many things. Although actually the, the, the more likely ones are quite boring. It's the collapse of antibiotic efficacy or just obesity or mental illness becomes a sort of plague, which or we may yet get that one. The problem is possibly back to this connectivity, both digitally and physically. So risks that used to be local have now become global. They're systemic. Therefore, your exposure is, is much greater. And if you're intent on doing a bad thing, it's a lot easier these days. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you could cook up something really quite nasty. And, and there's a level of sophistication to it as well. You could take out certain ethnicities with a certain virus as well. You, you could get that sophisticated. And it's, it's much more difficult to control than some other things. But again, again, I think you just have to sort of think, you know, well, it's, it's not happened. I'm not going to worry about it unless you want to sort of go and live the rest of your life in a nuclear fallout shelter. I, I just think you have to, it's not happened. And if it did, there's probably wouldn't be a great deal I could do about it. So why fill my mind with it, really? It's kind of a, a little bit uh, scary, though, to think that, you know, in the last 12 months, we put a helicopter on Mars. Uh, we built six that were over 70% efficacious against a global pandemic in record time and got them into arms. And yet there's this other part of being a human being. Nuclear war is still lingering in the background. This idea of self-annihilation, this idea of bioterrorism, all of these things are kind of sitting there and they feel an awful lot closer because we can see what crazy... I mean, one of the actual 
solutions this guy had to stopping this from happening was, of course, putting in checks and balances with special bodies that monitored where these proteins or whatever were sent out to and who could get hold of them. But one of his, his solutions was spend money on mental health so we don't have crazy people who would do something. I mean, it's that macro. You know? and the problem with that, I was just saying, we're talking about this. It's like, we're not, we can't be trusted with the level of intelligence we have because most people aren't that intelligent, but like the level of intelligence we as a society and of a world have access to, we're just fucking shit. We're a shitty species. Like we cannot be fucking trusted. And then like I have to laugh at, like the only solution your man had was uh, we have to invest in mental health. Now the minute I fucking hear that, I just go, right, shut up. Because mental health, like they're the two words I can't stand here together. It's a giant umbrella that we put up when we mean Mental health could mean fucking anything. Mental health is like when we put an ad on the radio and say, you know, mind your mental health, talk to your friends, meaning we're not going to do anything. So mental illness is a very different thing to mental health. Not that mental health isn't relevant, but are we going to look at actual mental illness? Because we have fuck all research on that. We think we know those. We, like the DSM-5 is literally just a, a group of symptoms that we kind of put a name on things. We don't understand nearly all mental illnesses. Like that's, I don't think people realize that we can do nuclear shit, but we still haven't figured out mental illness. Then on top of that, mental health is much more kind of society and situational. And we're fucked if we feel like actually making sure that everybody has a good go at things. Like nobody, nobody in power actually really wants everybody to be equal enough. So we don't care about people's situation. So we put up the big mental health umbrella, stick a few stickers around the place and, tell people well done and put up some nice radio ads on but mental health is just a phrase we use and we mean we're not going to fucking do anything mm. um i was just going to say actually not not relating to that but there is a sort of there's a sort of self-loathing in the population to some extent within certain segments that you know we've messed things up we no longer deserve to be here there, there is that sort of bubbling around yeah. <laughs> it's topic um but, you know, there's always been stuff that was out there that could kill us. We've always been stupid. The best thing that came out of the pandemic was our in ingenuity. You know, we, when, our, when our backs are against the wall, we can be very smart indeed. And, we, you know, we, we sequenced this and we saw the vaccine very, very quickly, very quickly. So we're not, you know, we're far from all bad. and We do some great stuff. And the other thing is, again, this sort of dystopic thing. Okay, admittedly, we've gone through a really bad 12 months. But, you know, nobody was sending their kids over the trenches in the First World War kind of thing. It's still on virtually any measure that matters the best time to be alive. I mean, if you look at longevity, infant mortality, extreme poverty, death from wars and serious crime, number of women in education employment, literacy rates, um, you know, it's just, you can't debate it. It's, it's, it is the best time to be alive ever. Yet we don't see that. We're sort of totally focused on the negatives. There is something going on now, and I can't really articulate it, of uh, there has been a shift due to this. And it wasn't just due to the pandemic, I don't think. I think there's some other things going on as well. It was happening anyway. But there's been a sort of shift in, again, I'm struggling to explain this. I can't really think of the words at all. But I, th I think some kind of strange change might possibly be coming. Yeah, no, I, 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 and I've yet to read anybody articulate this either i just can't quite explain it but there's just there's almost something in the air and maybe maybe it's as simple as it there's a thirst for change maybe it's maybe that's all it is and nobody yet has articulated what the change could be so that's a sort of a hopeful thing as well potentially i mean do you, do you have any stock in everything from you know fifth dimension spirituality ayahuasca religion supernatural I mean, does any of that start coming onto the table? Like that there's something that we kind of appreciate that we don't know, although the idea of there being stuff like a god or whatever is preposterous and, and so outlandishly ridiculous to think about, yet still billions of us kneel down and pretend to pray to a god. There could, yeah, there could be a sort of new spiritual paradigm. I mean, I was quite surprised. I mean, we haven't got data on all sorts of things yet from the, from the last 12 months, but I was slightly surprised there wasn't sort of a sort of emergence of a sort of new sort of religion or spirituality or maybe even going back to sort of normal religion i mean the one thing i have i've noticed recently that has bizarrely come through this this is going to sound weird i think there might be sort of arts and crafts too on the horizon this you know in the same way that sort of william morris almost came out of the industrial revolution if you take sort of things like this virus and ai and all the rest of it we we might be sort of going back to craft and local i mean there was something in the financial times i think at the weekend 
about this sort of cottage crafty. It's, it's practically Laura Ashley, ridiculously impossible lifestyles. You know, it's all floaty dresses and chickens and homemade honey. And there could be this sort of anti-modernist, anti, not necessarily anti-technology, but anti-modern. Or actually, going back to your very first question, it's almost the opposite of futurism. Futurism being the art movement, not people like me. That you know, Italy and so on in, in the early 30s, wasn't it? They loved technology. They loved speed. They hated libraries, interestingly. Um, you know, they worshipped war. So it's, it's the opposite of that. Yeah, what you're describing to me sounds an awful lot like the hipster thing of 10 years ago. And what I see now, like I'm 31, and what I see a lot of that age group and younger is... Like specific to the religion question, because I hadn't thought about that, but I'd say the emerging religion that has become much more strengthened throughout the pandemic is like wokest day, as I call it. It's like, you know, the, the woke religion. But if you look at how the far left idea of you have to say this, otherwise it's blasphemy. We Like in Ireland, we just voted out blasphemy for our constitution a couple of years ago, and now we're bringing it in in, the, in hate speech. <laughs> it's just fucking blasphemy. But it's almost religious, and it's, it's tribal, and it, I, I do see the loneliness making people want to belong to a tribe. But what I can't get over is that almost every other woman my age seems to be listening to murder podcasts while crocheting. 23, 24-year-olds crocheting things constantly. It's just crochet. It's growing things. It is the floaty dresses, but with septum piercings and green hair. It's almost like this outward need to tell everybody, which is hipster, we're rejecting modernity and we're going back to retro and more natural and living with the earth but, and steampunk. But we want the most modern phone so we can take a really good picture and filter it so we put it on Instagram to tell everybody how traditional we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's happening. I mean, I, I'm still sort of slightly stuck where I am for a few years, but I, I, I intend to escape as soon as I can. I don't, I don't want to sort of live in this sort of westernized, modern way anymore so what where, where would you escape to what would what, what be in your head well i'm gonna keep that secret but it's um it's it's not australia that's far too sophisticated a beach in thailand i don't want to buy my groceries with a self-checkout robot beeping at me continually or you know somebody that doesn't say hello i don't i don't want to suffer train services that don't work properly i don't want to i don't know i just i would like to sort of go back to a sort of simpler way of living Richard, uh, is it Switzerland? Is that no, where you're going? <laughs> I was getting a bit worried there. I don't. I have no desire to own a nuclear fallout shelter or a machine gun. <laughs> thank you. Um, no, I'm thinking. I'm thinking sort of fringes of Europe a bit. Let's just leave it there. I, I, I'm not sure I, I could necessarily be somewhere like that the whole time. You might have to sort of dip in and dip out. But I no longer appreciate the way things work here. Put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, I, I, you know, I get, I, I get pleasure from, from very simple, natural things. And so I want to go where you can get those without being assaulted by the likes of Southern Rail or Tesco's or God knows what else. And yes, to segue now into Brexit and what's happened there, you know, that there was a certain undercurrent of hove, there was a, I like to call it a hovis undercurrent of... <laughs> The old, the old uh, Hovis ads from CDP with the little boy cycling his thing up past the breadman and this sort of little Britain kind of, you know, we're all back now as Britain. And like, the fucking union is just disintegrating. Like even Wales are now talking about uh, secession. And you know, it's just like, like, where do you see your own country? We got, obviously, it's big for us over here because we've now got a new head of the DUP who's a creationist who believes the world was invest, invented 4,000 years ago and is coming into bat for you know, a sizable proportion of loyalists in Northern Ireland. I mean, just on, on, on Europe, on Brexit, I, I would be surprised if the EU survived all this, and particularly the financial aftermath. And I actually do think the way the EU behaved around vaccines was quite a good reason to leave, actually. Um, the UK, I don't, again, this might be your theme, I don't care if people want want to leave let them leave if it's an unnatural union let it go i just don't see it's not so, it's not worth something worth fighting for although <laughs> maybe i shouldn't bring that one up um <laughs> that was the one i remember talking to somebody about this when brexit was sort of happening but hadn't happened about devolution within the uk would be the next thing that would happen and also it's not just the uk you know it's it's you know southern spain and it's you know all of these areas the baseline is the world is getting more and more connected, so therefore it's getting more and more volatile with bigger systemic risks. So that creates a level of anxiety. 
the solution to that anxiety, well, there are two, two things. One is a sort of commute backwards mentally to some sort of traditional period in the past, which may or may not have existed. The other solution is a sort of level of tribalism, because that, that again, gives the perception of safety. So I think we're going to see it's going to get more and more tribal, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I mean, it, it could tip into xenophobia pretty easily and killing people, but it, it hopefully could, could end up in a slightly different direction. But, you know, so why, I don't really see why, why does Scotland have to be sort of bolted to England? Let, if they want to go, let them go. I mean, I think Ireland is a wholly different matter. I mean, I don't know how you square that one. But in terms of Wales and Scotland, I really don't see the problem quite frankly i mean that they were never together for, in the beginning you know we bolted them yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know countries Along with about are, 80 other countries <laughs> countries are artificial constructs um yeah. and and they ebb and flow over time so i'm i i yeah i, I don't I'm not too fast no, but like as you said like as soon as you began to say well you know if people want to go from the union let them go I mean, it's just it's worth fighting for my initial gut reaction as an irish woman was well, you fucking like talking about Northern Ireland. You broke it. It's your fucking problem. I don't want it back. Don't fucking hand it back to us. You fucked it up. It's your problem. No, no, you can have it. No, no, no. Thanks, but like, can you not just hang on to it for a bit? No. And yeah. I, like, there's a huge bit of that going on. Yeah, this might be the first generation of Irish people. I'm talking about people who reach the age of twenty, who a majority might vote against United Ireland. I mean, they might. I in don't that, think so. Well, I mean, it's coming close to that. We're getting to a point where we don't want the problem. It's, you know, it's old granddad stuff and, and whatever. Now, I think we have a, a gene of nationalism built into nearly everyone who's in the Republic of Ireland, but we kind of see the problems. I would see a huge amount of republicanism up to age 35. And I'd say the age 35 to age 60 to 65 cohort would be like, just fucking leave it alone. We actually don't need this shit. Things are going fine. No, thanks. I have kids, I have kids go to university. I couldn't give a flying fuck about how many counties there are in Ireland. Most people like that. But anybody who, as I'm noticing, people who haven't settled down and had kids and basically had something fucking better to be thinking about are all really nationalist now. And like, they're all brushing up on their and they're Irish. And they're all... Like, but I, 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 I don't see the universe or catchment of 20-year-old men, 19-year-old men funneled into a paramilitary organisation yeah, building no, that's that, That'd be the difference because they care much more than like... like I'm. When I was younger, like no one gave a fuck. It was like Celtic Tiger. We didn't really, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, sing their ass songs and you'd be a Republican, but you didn't really give a shit. Whereas now I'm seeing young adults really give a shit. But the, the most they're going to do is set up a really poignant blog where they're going to say some hurtful things. They're not going to fucking pick up arms over it. Yeah. What about the situation with democracy and Boris Johnson, who, despite what has happened in the last 12 months, probably seems stronger than ever in the polls. And this almost gravitation towards, you know, I suppose if you take India as the biggest democracy, you can see how large democracy and America is very fatally flawed. The rise of the strongman, the fact that uh, some of the countries in Asia and Southeast Asia who are borderline benign fascist states can galvanize their populations to meet challenges like this much more readily. Again, it's, this populism is driven by fear, by anxiety, and that can be anything from sort of geopolitics through to the economy, the pandemic, what, what have you. So I don't, I don't see that going away. I mean, it, it was interesting, that sort of split between, I mean, the countries best suited to deal with this were deeply authoritarian dictatorships, essentially. And, you know, you look at somewhere like the States that had such a problem because of their federated nature. And even even the UK, you know, everyone's sort of doing their own thing. Although, actually, I've been against that. The Americans have done amazingly well with their vaccination program. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that squares. Well, it's military, you know, they're very set up for military engagement. Mm -hmm. And when they put things on a war footing, they deliver. Like, I think Britain did that a bit as well. It was almost like they love a good war and it was a war on a virus and we have bullets to put into people's arms. So let's get them shot into people's arms kind of thing, you know? But I mean, on, Bor on Boris, yeah, I mean, it's a bit like Trump. He was just sort of Teflon. He was bulletproof. And, and Johnson seems to be the same. I mean, I... I I think he's made a hash of things. I mean, I don't think he's been a great prime minister. I think he's a bit of a fool. But then again, who else was there? I mean, you, you know, I think yeah. Labour made an even bigger hash of it. And there's not really anyone else around in, in the Conservative Party. So he's a dreadful prime minister, but he's better than all the others, possibly. Mm. 
I also think that at some level people just don't care anymore. Again, it's this disengagement thing. There's just, we don't trust people anymore. We're disengaged from it. We all think they're much of a muchness, which they are. I mean, I think the level of, of corruption in the current cabinet is phenomenal. That'll come out at some point. I mean, it's come out already to some extent, but I'm not sure what the alternative is, really. So um, the, other thing, the other thing from this tribal situation is the whole area of gender and Don maybe take this one yeah now I want to ask you which is like I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at your demeanour being a little bit could, could I have not, had enough of this you. shit huh could you not ask me <laughs> I was like do you know what I'll do now I'll ask him about gender fucking brilliant <laughs> I don't care I really <laughs> don't give a shit my general view is if people can do what the hell they like as long as it doesn't impact other people so on that basis, I just, I'm over it. I really, I'm really not interested. I think it's gone far too far. In fact, yeah, I think it's just another example of the world gone completely crazy to some extent. But I, I just don't care. I'm not interested. Sorry. It was a really good question and deserves a really good answer, but I'm not going to give you one because I... <laughs> we were planning a show on it and it is a, it is a third rail and it's, it is this... Uh, you, you know, you're asking to be cancelled, which the whole, the whole cancel thing is hilarious. Back to your point, when you understand that someone like Donald Trump can say the things he does and never even get as much as not suggested to be cancelled, not to mind, you know, very clear yeah, present you lies. You, know? you can't be cancelled if, like, I mean, let's say if you're a racist, right? And if you're, or sexist, like you're going out and saying really overtly sexist things all the time and it's kind of part of your shtick and then people get on Twitter and go, you're a misogynist, you're a sexist, and, like, fucking, so... Your point so, being... Exactly. I mean, what's worrying is, and I, I, I've come across this with some some kids I know is is this thing where, where you know there is there is only one way to see the world and any attempt to not not even disagree but to engage in a discussion is is just seen as an absolute outrage there's also this thing of I guess it's some it's it's sort of empowered individualism gone crazy where you know people are allowed to be or say anything they like personally, but the minute somebody says something or is something that they don't like, they're, they're incredibly offended. Mm. It's not it's not a recipe for a sort of harmonious community, really, is it? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm really don't, not sure what to say about it. It would be very interesting to, to examine what the sort of the deep undercurrents are with this stuff. What is actually driving this? Where has this sort of desire or need come from exactly? What it, what are the very deep level is it expressing? But I have other things I'm more interested in thinking about, to be honest. There's an issue here, I think, which is the end goal for someone who's on the left is not clear. You can go like, we're looking for a utopia, which is the best outcomes for the most amount of people. That's kind of nice flag. Yeah, but but really then you kind of go, where exactly is the line. Where exactly are we trying to move to? We're clearly not looking for a communism where everyone has the same bowl of rice and slice of bread every day, right? Which is the best outcome for the most people, uh, possibly. So we're looking to for what? We're looking for people to be respected, fine. We're looking for people to be allowed to express themselves, fine. Don't impose it on me. And it's kind of gone rogue and gone... That seems really simple to me because if you go straight back to like the word conservatism is to conserve things as they are, stay the same because it's working fine for me. Progressive is to progress. Then you go... Well, what, what makes something progressive? Because I feel it's progressing. So I think, and I'm like, I'm a lefty, but at the same time, I feel like the left as it is now is basically the opposition party to everything, which is fine. But you fucking run out of shit to oppose. To an extent, in most countries, the gay rights thing is kind of run out of steam because, now I'm not saying there isn't homophobia and there aren't problems, but in general, it's kind of run out of steam because we've moved on as a society. So then it has to go a bit further. And so we have to go on about the trans thing. Okay, live as you want. And people are kind of going, I don't really give a shit if someone's trans, they're walking down the street. Okay, well, that's not enough. Okay, well, I want you to call me your pronouns. Fine, we'll call you your pronouns. We, I want you to say it like you mean it. <laughs> so, like, and it's so funny because it reminds me of like the punk movement, except the punk movement was supposed to be telling people to fuck off. And it's like, if, you, if you're 15, 16, and you've got your leather jacket on, and you've got your fucking mohawk, and mum and dad going, oh, that's lovely. I'm so delighted you're, you're expressing your creativity. You go, fuck, what the fuck am I going to rebel, rebel with now? And I just see that happening because like the left is literally, it's not just, fuck you, we're going to do what we want. We're going, we want the government to sign off on this and we want everybody and we want the police to have their rainbows too. Well, okay, well, what are you fucking rebelling against then? You're literally talking yourself out of a position. So without that kind of clarity of what the end goal or the end 
you know, Plato and whatever the word for Plato is. So this is society that we're aiming for, which we don't know what it is. And, it's, and it can't be pinned down. That's that. Okay. I think you've hit on the problem there. It's completely rudderless at the moment. Anyone can be anything, which is causing complete chaos. We don't know where we're going. Nobody is articulating a vision. I mean, I, I have no idea what Keir Starmer stands for other than I'm not that guy. You know, I don't know what Boris <laughs> stands for. Everything's slightly merged into the middle. Nobody seems, I mean, basically they, they believe in whatever a focus group tells them 51% of people believe in. Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't have any true beliefs. They just follow what people tell them to, to be. I, I, I mean, I've written about this. And I think, you know, one of, I don't really believe in artificial general intelligence, this idea that, you know, the, the machines are going to wake up and take over. I don't, I don't really buy that particularly. But if we get close to it, one of the things that it might do is force us to have a really big think about who we are, why we're here, and, you know, what we do best and how we're not AI. And, and you, yeah, Plato and Socrates were there before us all discussing this. And, and, and going back to the pandemic, this is what was happening. At least I knew this was happening to me and it was happening to people I know that very first sort of week or two in March of last year when people were having those conversations. You know, what is a good life? Is this the way to live and all the rest of it? Um, and if, if we could sort of collectively agree, you know, what a good life is or where we want to go and have some kind of long-term strategy do a bit of the old cathedral thinking. So we're not doing it for us. We're doing it for the next generation. I think our identities would be more secure. You'd have less sort of mental health issues. There'd be less anxiety. There'd be less animosity. We might be sort of nicer kind of people, but it's, it's completely lacking. I mean, the only people that are articulating the vision to my mind is Silicon Valley. And their vision suits them. It doesn't suit 90 to 95% of of the world it suits sort of young white men with engineering degrees most of whom are on the spectrum it doesn't suit you know a 40 year old woman in delhi particularly well so i think we need to have a bit of a sort of a sit down as, as countries as regions as communities as the entire planet and you know work out what it is that we want where it is that we want to go i thought that the pandemic might do this but i think it's gone it's it's just disappeared now so you'd need another pandemic which will definitely happen at some point or aliens or a war or something really to to force it i suspect what about the aliens thing this you know there's all this new, new warblings coming out of america that there's fighter pilots who fucking seen things yeah. and i had the best radio interview actually last this week actually it was monday um american journalists want to discuss the impact of aliens on the future of work which i thought was possibly the best <laughs> i've ever been asked and it was quite, it, it went quite well actually because it got it got into that kind of AI advanced AI area of um, well I think we can assume that they're a lot smarter than we are so therefore certain jobs are going to be no longer our domain and you know it got actually quite quite an interesting fun discussion at the end of the day but yeah aliens would would possibly do it but um, we're going backwards not forwards that's for sure I mean it might be that climate could bring all this together possibly but the trouble with climate is it's not moving fast enough and it's not i'm not sure in the terms of a climatic sense what sort of weather event would make everyone change their behavior overnight we've had it all to something well we haven't we've far from had it but you know we've had the droughts and the, and the and the floods and the winds and or some people have and we haven't really changed that much although generationally i think there's a change occurring i mean the most um, the biggest behavioural change around sort of climate and the environment is when they put 5p on a plastic bag, which says something. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're onto something with the alien thing, because as you're saying that, I was going, ridiculous, but also that's fucking genius, because we just moved on from talking about wokeism and the left and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, then I was thinking of the US and the Red Scare and McCarthyism. And it's like, what? was great for that was a grand bit of 1970s alien shit and everyone getting real into the aliens and bunkers. That was a grand little kind of antidote. Yeah. And now we've got like McCarthyism again, just in a different format, but like ratting people out to their workplaces because they said this on Twitter and <laughs> doxing people, all that kind of shit. And we just need a good fucking alien scare. And it may have to be somewhat AI related just so it feels kind of because there was like the space race at the time, so they may have to make it a bit more Silicon Valley-esque, but essentially we need another alien UFO type thing just to cure us of our bullshit. 
before we let you go, uh, so then, and again, possibly not for inclusion of the podcast, you seem quite, uh, you know, you, you, you flagged this beforehand, but you seem quite pessimistic or sort of flat about things as, as someone who knows you very well. I, I think flat's probably quite a good way of describing it. Pessimistic, not really. I mean, it's, it's not like I'm worried because that would in, imply a level of engagement. Um, <laughs> it's, no, I just, I mean, I think this is, this sort of whole fear and loathing thing is a sort of Western European, US thing. I think if you went in, into the Middle East or China or somewhere, I, I, or India, I don't think you'd really get this at all. Not, not in quite the same way anyway. No, I, I, I just um, see a lot of pointless chatter in the media with things I have no interest in, in engaging with, and I am increasingly being pushed in a direction I want, don't want to go in, but there's a way around that, which is, is to pack a suitcase and hang out somewhere else to some extent. I mean, this could all obviously go completely wrong, but yeah, I just want to sort of strip it down a bit and um, do my sort of... Uh, through or something i don't know um i'm more interested in that sort of southern european thing particularly italian greek some extent turkish you could argue um of of just sort of living more in the moment enjoying life spending three hours having lunch not really worrying about anything particularly yeah. i mean if you, want to, if you want to sum up the feeling i'm after it's all but the greek just and delighting by the simplest thing and not exposing myself to this stuff that just drives you mad. I mean, you turn on the news, I go mad. You attempt to get on Southern Rail, you go mad, you know, etc. Well, so, I mean, certainly my, the place I feel most anchored is on the Greek islands. I feel this, this great link back to prehistory. And, 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 you know, if you think about Egyptian, what we see in Egyptian civilization that's left over that we can find out about, and bear in mind that it's like 5,000 years ago. It's 2,000 years before Christ. You know, it's like, it's like an awful long time ago. And you see this very, very elaborate society with farming and with women being more empowered than probably they were 2,000 years after that. So, you know, the, the, we have these kind of, I don't call it the good old days, but there, was, there seems to have been this r ridiculous, possibly religious religion caused dark ages, which we call them, where just we're only now starting to, in the last 200 years or 100 years, get shit together in terms of invention and progress and stuff like that. Not sure whether it's for the better or for worse. I mean, this is like this fantastic focus group for a new antidepressant aimed at middle-aged men called <laughs> Fuck It All. Okay. 20 milligrams. Me. Speak to your GP about it. <laughs> You've got me. It's Greece. Yeah, same here. It's the gods. It's the light. It's the yeah. history, that sort of edifice of so-called sophisticated Western culture just collapses at that point. The sort yeah. of the hubris just goes. And it's just the pleasure in a lemon or something. It's yeah. just, you know, the sun on your back, a sort of wonderful level. So, you know, we're clearly not talking about Mykonos. We're not talking about Athens either. Oh, actually, I have a real fondness for Athens, funnily enough. Okay. And I'll tell you the thing about, another thing about Greece is it's not... Well, from my perspective anyway, it's, it's not necessarily trying to lead the world or be incredibly sophisticated, which Britain seems to be, have this hang up of still having this empire and being on the top table and, you know, having, I mean, we do have some seriously world-class world stuff and, you know, life sciences we saw was one of them in, in recent months and year, but we sure as hell can't run a railway. Whereas, you know, there's no pretense that the Greeks can run a railway. So I'm okay with that. There's no pretense that politicians aren't corrupt. So therefore, I have no problem with that. Whereas here, they're all yeah. pretending that there are these incredibly sophisticated, holier-than-thou people. And, and the fact of the matter is, you're, you know, we've got this idiot for a prime minister who's, as Cummings correctly said, is this in a sort of moral vacuum. Mm. Greek friends of mine would obviously be very anti-Europe because, you know, they, the first thing is Greece shouldn't have been let into Europe because it wasn't obeying any of the rules and they kind of just let it in. It was, you know, no one pays, well, not at no one, but like all the taxation system is under the table. It's all dodgy as fuck. And okay, that's the way the country is. And the drachma was like, as soon as they went to the euro, all of that kind of collapsed. And, you know, it's a good example of a country that you could argue and the austerity they went through was 
savage because they hadn't got a, a bona fide infrastructure for paying taxes, whereas we did have in Ireland and Iceland had that. And, you know, we recovered better because we were good boys who, who, who towed the line. Uh, and yet you still go back to Greece and you still have the guys playing petanque or whatever and sitting under the sun and drinking raki and going out in their fishing boats. And, you know, it is a kind of a... I think it's the most sophisticated country on the planet. And the other thing, actually, I think the, the current prime minister in, in Greece and the current government did one of the best jobs in the world. I mean, Australia haven't done badly. New Zealand obviously did very well. But and I've been, I was there twice last year. And compared to the situation here, there was total compliance on masks. None of this hidden disability stuff. Everyone was really obeying rules. It was a whole different ballgame. And they only got into trouble when they started letting some foreigners in last summer, really, as far as I can work out. But it was handled in a much, much different way. And I think there was tremendous respect for the government. So people actually were happy to comply with, with the regulations. I, again, I'm quite surprised at the level of compliance we've had here, given yeah. the amount of anger and, and, and so forth. And also the fact that the rules kept changing every two minutes. They were breaking their own rules. They were contradicting them. They were... Yeah. You know, you'd struggle to do another lockdown, I think. I mean, I, there are people suggesting that it might kick off again in September, October, partly because of, of India, but also actually, funny enough, back into China. I'm not sure people... Well, mate, would people do it again? I mean, Australia's been incredibly compliant as well. That's extraordinary. I mean, they well, haven't that much to comply with, though. That's the thing. Well, they haven't been let out of the country for a year, but 61% of them are fine with that. Yeah. Um, so, I guess when it's when it becomes your dad and granny dying, people uh, people understand. Well, that was the other that was the other thing with, with as I understood it with Greece. Whereas, I think it's the yuck called the yaya, the grandmother is is so such yeah. a central figure in Greek Greek life. And generally speaking, you'd see her at the, every single weekend. So yeah, you you wanted to protect her. You didn't mm. want to go crazy. Whereas here, not not quite so much. Yeah. Did I tell oh, you about what I finished the week before the pandemic? No. Oh, so a week before the pandemic hit, I finished a book. Uh, well, the, the book called Why We'll Never Have a Pandemic, that one. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, well, the pandemic's been in every single book I've written. I know, no, I know, I know, yeah. No, this, this book was called You Are Not Busy. And uh, was finished the week before nobody was busy, apart from members of the <laughs> NHS and essential services and the odd lawyer. So I'm just toying with the idea of whether I should reskin it with a sort of pandemic slant based on the fact that we did have this period when very few people were busy yeah. or I might just wait for us to all be busy again in which case it'll be deeply relevant again um Douglas Roshcroft has written a book called Team Human which looks really good remember he wrote a book called Present Shock I think about how crazy the present was I've actually found it very difficult to read over the last year. Let yeah, alone people say that. Yeah. I, I, there's too much churn in my head. I, I, could, I could read small things and I can write small things, but the idea of reading a whole book or particularly writing a whole book, not a chance. Um, but hopefully that's coming back. Obviously, Digital versus Human. Actually, that's the one book that probably doesn't have the pandemic in it. I was rereading re um, Future Files and that's most definitely got it in it. There's a 50 Ideas About the Future. has got a whole section on pandemics. You have links to all of these books that Richard has mentioned and go and buy some of his ones because they're very well written as well and they're very engaging and in many cases quite amusing. Well, I think reading books is a good thing. Don't read the news. That's the important one. Read a book instead and just sort of hug a tree and stare at a leaf for an hour. Thank you as ever for being on the podcast and we will have to come over and have a steak together. Either I'll go and over to you, you come over here and a large glass of wine and you can smoke one of your big stogies. Absolutely. That would be, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That would be extremely pleasant. Um, I'm sorry about the gender one. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I just... Also, I, what I, I could say things, but they, it, it could get me into so much trouble. Yeah, it's a uh, third rail. Yeah. No, yeah. You could be what the hell you like, but don't, don't then start lecturing me about things. I also think, I think you actually picked it up. You know, you, you, you can, how you identify yourself could be anything you like. And I have no problem with that. But when, but when you actually try to physically change sex, I, I do struggle with that a little bit. We are building up a phenomenal mental health problem in back to mental health with people that have been allowed to do this too young. Um, yeah. Five years later, they, they change their mind or what have you. And it's like, oh my God. The other quite interesting thing, and I don't, I don't have a view on this. It's just, I just think it's interesting is, the world is fundamentally designed and set up for binary. 
the classic example of this obviously being prisons. There's men's prisons and women's mm-hmm. prisons. If you put a man that's identifying as a woman into a woman's prison, sport as well. Yeah. I get that people have to live their life and I'm not kind of saying do what you want but don't expect me to move. I am kind of saying okay, well, we should make people more comfortable if we can. But the automatic assumption of, it's the entitlement that gets me. It's an assumption that women are just going to get out of the way as we always do because your sex-based rights are in the way rather than, well, we're not willing to have a conversation with you because we disagree with you. We're not willing to work out a system, for instance, what they're doing now in the UK is they've moved the trans prisoners back out and said, right, we better have a wing within the men's prison for trans prisoners. Grand, that makes sense. Fair enough. But like, it occurred to me, somebody made a point about the sports thing and all of that is that they don't want a solution because what the, the, the thing is, I want to force you to see me as I see myself. For some people, the, that was the draw. It wasn't about wanting to be on the team or wanting, it was about wanting to force other people to view them as, as their identity. And I kind of go, you can identify as you want. You can ask for people to respect the address you in a certain way, but you're not entitled to my perception. In fact, I'm not even in control of my perception. But I don't care how you identify, you do what you want to do. But you're not entitled to how other people see you. What yeah. I think of you is none of your business. You should, be, you should be allowed to take the piss out of a bloke in a dress. Sorry, I mean, let's propose. Oh, I think, uh, actually, I'll tell you what I was watching last night was Airplane. And we were just talking <laughs> about whether you could screen that now. Well, I mean, no, probably not. you just did. They screened it last night. But yeah. it, no doubt it'll have got all kinds of out people outraged because it's got some appalling racial stereotypes. It's got some gender stereotypes. There's physical violence, but it's funny. I don't think anyone is immune from having the piss taken out of them. I mean, I think putting that tragedy plus time equals comedy, you might want to wait a bit on a few things, but generally speaking, um, you know, if you can't have the piss taken out of yourself, Nearly all comedy is laughing at someone else's misfortune. Nearly all comedy. Yeah, but yeah. like there's subversive comedy as well. And that's what's been come, come after now. And I know like, I mean, if you look at Father Ted, that's like Kramer and there's like the Antichrist, all things trans. But he's been picked up on other stuff like race stuff recently. And you're going, you, like you do understand it's satire. Um, basically, he was coming out of, of a country where we were all kind of, it was a theocracy and it was all very fucking conservative. And he was making it cool to be a little bit liberal by taking the piss out of unfortunate things like racism and sexism and all of the things that we don't like. He was taking the piss out of them. It's like, it, so it's, it's subversive comedy. But even now it's like, how dare you? This kind of shit moved the country on because all the young people went, yeah, this is fucking ridiculous and laughed at it. So he's on the right side, him aside, but in general, I'm finding this with comedy where people are getting their knickers in a twist and deeply offended. And it's like, okay, you're offended. That, you're entitled to me. Oh, I'm sorry, you thought we're not allowed to be offended anymore. Like, no one's allowed to offend us anymore. But that anything that touches on something that's distasteful is offensive. And there seems to be no intelligence to work out. You do understand that at least 50% of offensive comics tend to be subversive and they're actually driving a progressive point forward. It's satire. Yeah. It's what helps people get a bit more fucking woke. And you're fucking reckoning it. There was a guy called Martinez who wrote a book about, um, he, no, he was an engineer in Apple and he also was a writer. And he wrote a kind of a snarky, gonzo journalist book about the Silicon Valley set. And on one page in it, like it was a 400 page book or something, there was a chapter, a paragraph saying that all women in, in Silicon Valley are, uh, I don't know, I, I can't remember the exact words, but something like are, social climbers and ugly to boot okay something like that and it was it was it was meant as a kind of a gonzo start anyway apple employees got hold of this created a 2000 person internal memo signature to say this guy should not be working in apple because he expressed this hatred and distaste for women in silicon valley and is therefore a misogynist and should be fired and was fired and the book came out five years previously it wasn't that sick. I mean, it's probably been good for sales, but... One thing I have noticed that I don't think has been picked up on, and I'm not even sure what the word for it is, there's, there's, there's a real hatred of men around. Misandry. Thank you, that's the Sorry, word. Sorry, I just woman slaying that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love... Yeah, um, but no, it sort of came out of, of the Me Too thing slightly, and, you know, and you see it, funny, if you even see it in ads where you think, God, if that, if that role was reversed... I mean, you could take piss out of men, I have no problem with it, but it's, it was done in such a way where if you'd done it with a woman, there would have been an absolute outcry. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we, it seems to be we never kind of get the balance. If, if it's right over there, it doesn't sort of swing back to a nice middle, it flies off over the other side half the time. Yeah. 
And then it sort of does this and comes back and comes back and comes back. But yeah, that's a sort of a new thing, I think, to some extent. And I, I, I'd hate, I mean, God, I'd hate to be sort of 16 in education right now as a bloke. I mean, my God, yeah. I wouldn't like an education period right now, but, but as a bloke, it must be bloody awful. We actually talked about this on the last episode. We got into talking about misandry in general, and I was I was kind of talking about like the rising of it out of me too, and the idea of toxic masculinity. And I do think there is toxic masculinity, but I was just saying, just to reiterate, I was saying I I notice a huge toxic way in which we talk about masculinity, and like I have a girl and a boy. Like I want my girl to grow feminist. I want my son to respect women and all of those things. And like I'm bringing him up. Of course, I don't want him to be an asshole, but I also don't want him to be brought up to to be ashamed of his gender or to that you either have to be really effeminate and one of the girls but in order to be a strong man that means you're an asshole i see us denigrating masculinity rather than weeding out the problem some some boys are going to be more feminine that's fine but there are boys that are masculine and we need to celebrate and look at male role models and positive masculinity and i just don't see that i see constant toxic masculinity toxic masculinity i see young boys growing up either deciding you know what fuck that because if, they're, if you're always being told that you're a sexist and a rapist eventually you just turn into one of those folks that goes fuck that i don't give a shit mm. or you grow up with this deep sense of shame about yourself and this complex and i don't want boys to grow up with this complex so I, I i see that as really damaging to young boys i have a theory which is kind of contradictory to your i don't really worry about ai that's probably a, f- a two to 300 year sort of theory that says if you look at where we're going, where you can't offend people, you can't say the wrong thing or else you cancel, that we're kind of homogenizing society and gender is being allowed to float out into whatever you want it to be, which will, which will in, in some ways mean a reduction in the birth uh, cycle and the amount of births happening. And what we're slowly doing is sleepwalking ourselves into a computer with our phones in front of us to the point where eventually there could become a time where the progression of the human race is that we actually realize that the fact that we're carbon-based eating and shitting machines can also be removed. And I'm now talking a little bit like heads in tanks in Futurama, whereby you end up that the best thing for society and to continue is I think that there's a, a piece of magic dust in us that understands that the one thing we have to do as a species is get off the planet because it's not going to end well. So it's millions of years down the track, but we know that we're on a planet that is hurtling towards the sun or is going to melt eventually. And so when you look at someone like Elon Musk and people like that, they're understanding that interplanetary of something, you know, they're they're the Wright brothers, you know, just as I said, we we did put a helicopter on Mars. Well, yeah, but imagine a planet where there is no humans, but we are still kind of we're, the, we're the, 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 the Wizard of Oz behind the machines that are now built into the machines. And we're kind of walking that way ourselves without realizing it. Well, there could come a time when... Some unbelievable technology. They're all too... Anything half-decent is too far away. And I mean, Mars is a flicking shithole and it's miles away. You know, and yeah. we've actually got this rather gorgeous planet that I think we should just take a bit more care of. I mean, I do slightly have a view that if we'll blow ourselves a bit, so be it. We'll, there'll be a nice planet left behind. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The less stupid species can have another go at in another few billion years. I don't know. So it's great looking at Chernobyl. You know that, that documentary where nature has just overtaken Chernobyl in the last 30 years. And oh, yeah. you, know, you, see, you see the deer walking down Main Street, Chernobyl eating fruit. Um, what's that one with Will, Will Thingy? Yeah, right? I Am Legend. I am legend. There's a bit of that going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think as ever, you are a legend. And thank you so much for being on the show again. We're probably going to check in with you annually because your temperature is always a good one to gauge. I don't think I was particularly interested in that. I mean, I wouldn't be completely averse to doing that again if you wanted to, because I I think you got me on a really bad day. No, I think I, I, what I like about it, and I might even keep this in, is that one of the things I can be sure to get you is your is your mood. That's what we're trying to capture here. And I did call you up on it and I did, I can sense it from you. And, but that's also quite important. You know, I think just sit, you sitting here being all, you know, happy, happy days is a, is a, is a different podcast. And I think that we've come through a year of grind, you know, that may have been easier for some people, maybe have, have been easier for us because we have a bit more money or we have a bit more whatever, but People are jaded, and you know yeah. that's a, tra- a, a much fairer reflection. Actually, I'll tell you the word. I, I wish I could remember what. There's a German word which is the opposite of homesick, and it's it means longing for somewhere far away. I, that's me right now. 
I've been trapped for too long, and I, I think mm. it's sort of messing with my head. But yeah, that's a good word. I think I prefer the authenticity of that. Then yeah. just yeah. Uh, Richard, let Richard have a have a drink and a cup of coffee and a cigar, and let's try and pretend everything's okay. So always, always, you're welcome on the show if ever you want to say something or plug your new book. Uh, I love the old. You're not busy. There's lots of Richard's books in the uh, blurb of the podcast where you can link in and buy them. They're very good reads. And uh, I will see you over here for a pint maybe before the end of the year. Uh, that's distinctly possible. A nice cold Guinness would go down a storm. Yeah, if you're flying back from the States, route through Dublin and spend a couple of days here. And <laughs> put you up. All right, well, All right. listen, look after Fun. yourself. And I'll well, you that me. was the wonderful Richard Watson there, Don. What do you reckon about that? It was good to... I thought it was good to hear that he was, you know... He was, he was a bit upset that he wasn't as effervescent as normal, but... Yeah, no, I find that interesting. Not just because I'm usually the flat, pessimistic, sort of nihilistic one. <laughs> so, like, I... Not, like, it's nice for me not to... <laughs> it's nice for someone else to be more miserable than me. It's not that, but I kind of... I, I, I don't really tend to connect very well when people are just being too fucking optimistic for my liking because it's just... <laughs> no, it's not that I'm being a miserable bitch. I'm just kind of... I don't... I don't connect. I don't get it. It's not how I see the world. I, it's, I, find, I find it very lonely. It's cold comfort to me. So I find it interesting when I can chat to someone, whether it's just the place they're in, the humor they're in at the moment, where they're a little bit flat mm. and a bit like, which we're coming out of a pandemic. I think most people are a little bit. But so I find it interesting to be able to have a big conversation with someone when they've got a different take to me and they can talk about something that's of interest to me. But particularly if they're a bit flat, because it just, it resonates with me and I'm not used to that because I'm used to everyone being just too fucking... So well, there, was a, there was a nice bit at the end when we f- sort of finished the podcast proper when Richard uh, told us that he did have a pet lamb. I know. So have a, have a listen to this. Um, she's fine. Oh, the big news actually since we last spoke is we, we have a, sh- well, we, we don't have him anymore, but we had a pet lamb in the house for oh. six weeks. Um, Ted, who I, <laughs> I honestly say, Father Ted, I can honestly say we haven't laughed that much ever actually Brilliant. he was i don't know quite why he was so funny but he was i'll send you a video <laughs> you know the flying sheep would be one of the videos um the i've got more hits with my fucking lamb on linkedin than anything like, else you speak in the past tense like did you put him with the mint sauce no uh, <laughs> he did actually start eating garlic in the garden which is a worry um he's like getting himself ready um yeah. no he's in the field behind us with his best mate phil his first night out, he had a bi- he's got a big, he had a big night out last night because it was the first night in his life that he wasn't locked in at night. So he had, he was roaming around East Sussex last night as far as I can work out. So uh, he's great. Does fun. he come up and say hello to you? Oh God, yeah. He's like a dog. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is, he, been, is he not going, why the fuck you put me out here? This is a fucking field. He seems to be, he seems to sort of get into the sheep thing quite easily. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he identifies the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> He was getting problematic because we had, we had nappies on him and we couldn't get any big enough because he was 11 kilograms. He's quite big. So Don't yeah, assume his species. He needed to go outside. Um, but he's, he's a good lad. He's a good lad. But how did you end up with a pet lamb? Was it a rescue lamb? It was a rescue lamb, yeah, absolutely. His mother rejected oh. it. Oh. So she had triplets and could only feed two, so she was kicking him around and refused to feed him. Oh, well done. And we got him about that big and he ended up that big. Um, I'll see. Yeah, I'll dig out a video at some point and send it over. Okay, so he he is still happy, and Richard's still happy. And it was nice to see, see that he got more views of his pet lamb than he did of some. Can we have mm, We can try. Um, so that's about all we have time for this week. To Don, look after yourselves. We'll be back in the next few weeks with another episode of A Point with Sean D. God bless. Take care.